what's going on guys welcome to or welcome back to consuming crime it's your host jules here another week another case guys and i am continuing to cover homicide hunter with joe kenda on discovery plus and i'm naming the episodes the same as they are named in discovery plus so you can find them easier before we get started i'm gonna fix this camera before we get started make sure you give us a like on facebook consuming crime i'll put the little animation right here and also if you want to become a supporter of the podcast go ahead and go to consumingcrime.com hit the become a supporter badge and select the amount it's basically a donation to the podcast it helps sustain future episodes you don't get anything out of it but it means everything if you can contribute you can even contribute as little as 99 cents which i think is awesome without further ado let's get into today's episode um also if you're on the youtube and you're seeing like oh there's finally an outfit change it's the next three episodes are getting recorded today same day hopefully if my laptop does not die it's currently on 25 percent and i left my charger at work so that's annoying this is my last recording session in this apartment too which is trippy to think about but you guys are actually going to continue to see me in this apartment till the end of November, even though today is October 23rd. Anyway, anyway, I'm getting off track. Let's just jump into it. On December 3rd in 1991 at 7.30 at night, a police cruiser is making his way up a dark mountain pass called the Gold Camp Road in Colorado Springs, Colorado. You notice, if you notice there's like a pattern that we're always in Colorado Springs, Colorado, all of these cases were cracked by Joe Kenda, Lieutenant Joe Kenda. Officers come up here to break up keg parties and typical teenage shenanigans. This time, though, was different. The station received a call claiming there was a female body that had been dumped in a particular area. Yeah, that's definitely different than a keg party. They found her body slightly down a slope. She was fully dressed, and by her clothing, they could indicate that she was between 18 and... <laughs> I put 18 and 10. I think I meant to type 18 and 20. Her death was unknown at first glance. She could have fallen, gotten hypothermia, but they also considered foul play, naturally. This is also Colorado Springs, Colorado. It seems to be very... Homicide seems to be a very popular thing over there. At around 10 p.m., officers call Lieutenant Kenda onto the scene. His men start to inspect the body, and they could tell that she had been there for a while. Once they finally were able to roll her over, they were able to determine that this was definitely foul play. There was a ligature mark on her throat, which indicated that she had been strangled with some sort of item, and she also looked much younger than they had initially thought. I think this case is going to trip you guys all the way out. I remember I was like, what? Wait, what? Wait, what? The entire time, so... I'm interested to see your guys' reactions throughout the episode. Feel free to comment while you're listening too, because I'm curious as to everybody's thoughts. Detectives do not think the death occurred here. There were no signs around of a struggle at all. No mess, nothing thrown, nothing. They need to figure out who she is and who she knows. They go through her pockets and there was nothing. So was she robbed? Did they take her money? Did they take her wallet? Or was she too young to carry a wallet? They do find a clue on her hand. It was a small tattoo in the webbing of her hand with the initials J and M. Officers dispatch the information and they find out that the anonymous caller had called back with the same person that called in and said, there's a body on the side of this mountain, called back. And they said, the victim that you're looking for, that you found, is Maggie and you should be looking for a Jill Youssef. I wanna know who this anonymous caller is. That's what I wanna know. Like, are they trying to frame Jill or do they know something? Officers look for Jill Youssef in their system and come up on a hit. She had a recent arrest for shoplifting and she was 29 years old. What is a 29 year old doing 
with a I think she they identified her to be 16 years old that's a it, it, when I first heard that it kind of gave me the creeps a little bit like what the hell are you doing with a 16 year old according to the report the shoplifting report Jill had help by a girl named Margaret Fetty also known as Maggie Maggie was blonde, blue-eyed, and has a tattoo with the initials J.M. Kenda is convinced at this point that their Jane Doe is Margaret Fetty. They dig deeper into Maggie's records, but they have no one to call. There were no pictures of her online, no baby pictures, no parents, no siblings, no family. This is also the case, you guys, that I gained a newfound level of respect for Lieutenant Joe Kenda. Not that I didn't respect him before, but now it's like way more. And I'll get to that. They find out that she was a ward of the state. Her mother did not want her, and her father was nowhere to be found. She was a part of a group home called Chins Up. They specialized in abandoned children. That is so, that is so sad. They find out that she ran away from this place a year ago and was just in the streets. No one looked out for her, and she was, like I said before, only 16 years old. Now they need to know the connection between Jill and Maggie. My question now is, if she had nobody, then who's the anonymous caller? It can't be someone that wanted to look out for Maggie. Detectives start with Jill. They needed to contact her first. On December 4th, early in the morning, officers knock on her door and she agrees to come down to the station. They ask about the relationship and she said they were best friends and they hung out all the time. Okay, that checks out. I'm getting less of the creeps now that there's an explanation there. They met about a year ago, shortly after Maggie had left the group home. Jill became a big sister to Maggie. They had been through some similar things, so they just clicked. See, that's very sweet. I can appreciate that. She told police that they had matching tattoos with the initials JM. Okay, so that makes sense. Jill and Maggie. That's cute. She doesn't behave like a suspect. She doesn't even seem to be aware that Maggie is dead. She is speaking about her in present tense as well. So either she has no idea she's dead or she planned this out. She's a real good killer. Jill breaks down at the news and she is devastated. So right now I'm feeling for Jill. Like that sucks. This was her best friend. This must be really, really hard for her. But then Kenda hits me with, I think Jill knows something. And he's thinking that she's guilty. Every time Kenda says... I think they're guilty. They're usually guilty. Kenda outright accuses her of being involved. I wonder if she was like sitting there crying and then Kenda was just like, listen, cut the bull. I know you're involved. What's going on? What do you know? I don't think that he thinks that she did it, but I think he thinks that she's involved or she knows more than she's letting on. She ends up spitting her guts out or spilling her guts out. And she says, I had nothing to do with it, but I know who the killer is. Now I'm really confused. And it gets more confusing, guys, check this out. She says it was one of her friends, Melinda Stewart. Officers leave the room to check out Melinda's background. This woman had no criminal background. She was 29 years old and she was married to a sergeant in the army. There is no indication that she is capable of committing this crime, or so Kenda believes. Anybody is capable of anything, Lieutenant Kenda, we all know this. My cats are fighting next to me. Good luck getting this camera where it was at. I don't know why I did that. By the time detectives come back into the room, Jill admits to more. She said she was actually present when it happened. It was three days ago. Jill was keeping Melinda company while her husband and his army buddies were talking. Melinda asked Jill, let's go out for a girls' night. They go to pick up Maggie and a bottle of tequila. They go up to Gold Camp Road and they just want to go look at the lights and drink a little bit. 29 years old, buying tequila for a 16-year-old weird not even just buying it for them but like hanging out i have this running theory that if you hang out with people that are that much younger than you you secretly 
are like lacking in maturity i do that too sometimes like right now i'm vibing the most with like my 19 year old co-worker and i'm 24 so it's not a bad thing i'm just saying that's like my theory jill says that she was driving melinda was in the back and maggie was in the passenger seat so melinda was sitting behind maggie they pulled off to park and this is where it happened she says for no apparent reason melinda grabbed an ace bandage from the car and began to strangle maggie from the back seat for no reason by the way i don't know what an ace bandage is so i'm gonna look it up and put it as a picture here in case you guys also don't know i have an idea but i'm not entirely sure jill tries to stop her and she just would not stop melinda tells her if you stop me then you're next melinda allegedly forced jill to help dispose of the body jill is tearful as she tells the story but the story makes no sense and you could be tearful not because you're sad but because you feel guilty you know being tearful doesn't mean innocence she said melinda suffers from a severe mental illness she was now in a psychiatric hospital her husband had put her there the night of the murder hours later officers go to cedar spring psychiatric facility and they ask is melinda stewart here and they say yes her husband brought her here he believed she was having a mental breakdown so this could be plausible officers ask if they can speak to her and moments later a nurse comes out with a disheveled woman her eyes were wandering and she had difficulty standing she looks at a detective and asks him are you dead are you pretending i don't i i feel like i am approaching this case in such a like sus way like i don't trust anybody i think jill's full of shit. i think melinda's full of shit. i don't trust any of them she was acting like a child and speaking similar to a preschooler she agrees to be interviewed at the hospital. She keeps repeating that Maggie is asleep. Maggie is cold. Someone needs to bring her a coat. She accounts for the same night, and the stories are almost identical except for one small but very big detail. She says, Me, Jill, and Maggie went up on the road to drink tequila and look at the city lights. I was driving, Jill was in the back seat, and Maggie was in the passenger, so this puts Jill behind Maggie. She says for some reason, Jill grabs an ace bandage from the car and starts strangling Maggie from the back seat. And I tried to stop her, but she said, if you stop me, you're next. So what's clear to me now is one of them did it, right? Melinda was clearly disturbed, but that doesn't equate to being a killer. I think it takes a true psychopath to be able to talk to police officers as if somebody was alive and to act like you didn't just kill that person. So I think... I don't know, I'm leaning more towards Jill being guilty right now. Mind you, again, this story gets more confusing, so just wait. Kenda doesn't have enough to convict either of them, but can lock them up for a little bit for obstruction of justice, so he puts them both in custody. Officers go speak to Melinda's husband, Sergeant Stewart. He is surprised that his wife is being accused of murder. You're surprised? You're the one that checked her into a hospital. He asks, officers ask him, what's up with your wife? And he laughs and says, oh, are you talking about her characters? Her characters please elaborate she has multiple personalities okay he says it sounds like you guys were talking to lemmy sue one of the four personalities living inside of melinda's brain the four personalities are melinda amanda von heifstein a five-year-old girl named lemmy sue and the clown the husband is saying she's not dangerous she just has a lot of personalities a lot of flavor if you will Kenda wonders if another personality potentially emerged that night, a fifth. Kenda asks, okay, so who was she when she left for a drive that night? And he goes, oh, she was Melinda that night. What about when the girls got back a few hours later? 
He said no, she was still Melinda. She seemed fine. There was nothing out of the ordinary. Apparently nobody had even mentioned Maggie. Which is interesting because I feel like if, if you suffer from a mental illness, especially something like multiple personalities, I would, I would imagine if you went through something that traumatizing, whether you killed somebody or somebody else killed someone in front of you, it would trigger a mental breakdown. I could be wrong, but that just... I don't see somebody like Melinda coming back from that and being totally normal. But the next day, her personality surfaced one after another, after another, after another. And this is when he took her to the hospital. Okay, yeah, see, that's what I was referring to. Did the meltdown cause her to kill or did watching Maggie get killed trigger her meltdown? What do you guys think right now where we're at? Pause it and comment because I want to know. Kenda and his team need more information. Sergeant Stewart tells him about James Catlin, a co-worker of his who dates Jill on and off. He said the girls borrowed James's car that night. Detectives then bring James in for questioning. The story he gave was consistent with the story that Sergeant Stewart gave them. They get nothing new from him and they just start continuing to interview people. And they consistently get nothing. Two weeks after the murder though, they receive another phone call. Psst, stop it. Jill and Melinda are still in custody right now. A woman named Penny Rhodes, sister of Melinda, claims that anonymous caller was their father. She said she spoke with Melinda's husband, Sergeant Stewart, and he told her that he had destroyed some evidence. He said all the clothing Jill and Melinda wore was burned. No one would ever know anything. This right here, this is enough to book him for conspiracy after the fact. So that's what they do. They book him because he lied to the police. Officers call him to the station, and before they arrest him, they didn't tell him that they had an arrest warrant yet, because they wanted to see if he would say anything else. Kenda asks him about Penny. He says, you know, Melinda's sister Penny, she, um, she filled in a lot of details. You told her some things. Maybe something you overlooked when we first talked to you, so benefit of the doubt, good cop, even though they're gonna arrest him. He knew he needed to start talking, so he confesses something after the girls got home that night each woman pulled him aside and told him about the murder kind of the way that they told kenda about the murder they both claimed the other was responsible he didn't know who to believe but he burned the clothing anyway he says that's all i did though oh, okay like all you did was destroy a bunch of evidence that could be crucial and key to solving this case that's it that's it that's all you did okay you're fine they placed him under arrest for accessory to crime naturally as they should now they have three people in custody and they still don't know what happened. Everyone's pointing the finger at everybody else. Kenda and his people are still trying to solve this crime despite the fact that there are no family members down their throat saying, what happened? Did you find the killer? Do you have any tips? Do you have any evidence? What's going on? Did you find the killer? They're doing all of this without family pressure. With literally nobody would push them to solve the murder but themselves because she was a ward of the state and had no family. That is amazing. That is beautiful. But do they solve the mystery? I don't know. Let's continue. Sergeant Stewart says Silas Nelson was there. Someone I know that's getting out of the army next month. But then, but then he backtracks. He said on second thought, Silas was not there when the girls went out. He wasn't around at all. What? So he was there or he wasn't there? He tries to, like, brush it off like he didn't say what he just said, but Kenda knows, okay, there's something here. They were able to locate Silas and question him about this night. He says he was there that night. He actually stayed for the weekend. 
which means he knows something and Sergeant Stewart just didn't want him to rap. Officers ask if he was around when the girls got back and he responds, no, I was asleep, but boy, was I there before they left. He said they had quite a conversation. They were talking about a girl named Maggie. I guess she was causing them problems and they were just tired of her. They were talking about killing her. And it wasn't just Jill and Melinda talking about this. Sergeant Stort and Sergeant Catlin joined the conversation and they talked about how to do it. So basically, they're talking shit about Maggie, Jill and Melinda, and both the guys, Stuart and Catlin, were also tired of it. So they joined and said, well, if you're going to do it, here's how, and grabbed an ace bandage and showed the girls how to strangle somebody and kill them. Is that what they're teaching you in the army? I don't think that's what you should do in the real world, my guy. So the four of them planned it. What the... I want to know, what the hell was he thinking? Um, what was his name? I'm sorry. What the hell was Silas thinking? Was he just sitting there like... Because uh, what, what do you do when there's four people seriously considering murder in front of you? Obviously, the correct answer is to speak up. But what if they turn around and they kill you too? You just, like, I don't even know what I would do in that situation. What do you guys think you would do if there were four people in front of you seriously talking about murdering somebody now they need to know who specifically was the one that strangled her and what was the reason you can't just say she was being annoying sergeant catlin is arrested and is being questioned this is the same guy that they interviewed earlier and he didn't really add anything officers tell him we know a lot more than the last time we spoke he responds everything i told you up until now throw it away i lied okay we're off to a good start he admits him Sergeant Stewart, Jill, and Melinda conspired to kill Maggie, and they each had their own reasons. Maggie was into drugs, and she had gotten Jill and Melinda into drugs. Get the f*** out of here! You're gonna tell me a 16-year-old convinced a 29-year-old grown-ass woman to do drugs? Dude, shut the f***! I cannot. I don't want to be editing bleep this and bleep that a whole bunch in the next episode, so I'm not going to keep going on this rant, but you got to be kidding me. Oh my goodness. This is ridiculous. Catelyn did not like his girlfriend on drugs, so he didn't want her around either. <laughs> if you, if a 16-year-old is convincing you to do drugs, you've got bigger things to worry about, honey. He tried to shut Maggie out previously, but Maggie was feeding the drug habit, so it was hard for the girls to let her go. A few days before the murder, Maggie gave... Oh, and then, like, the bigger reason, I guess, that everybody was pissed off is because a few days before the murder happened, Maggie gave Jill a tab of LSD that nearly killed her. She ended up getting really sick, and this pissed everybody off. Jill and Melinda wanted to get even with Maggie. When they thought of killing her, the guys jumped in and gave them ideas. They showed the girls how to strangle someone with an ace bandage, how to pull someone down, how to apply pressure... The girls go get Maggie, and this is where everything happens. Kendo wants to know who did the strangling. Catelyn says that it was Melinda that did it. But he's also he's also Jill's boyfriend, so he would lie. Regardless, I think they're both guilty no matter who's the one that pulled the trigger. Well, quote-unquote pulled the trigger. The story the girls told on her death was almost true, except no one was trying to stop the other. Later on, Melinda offers information against the others in order to reduce her sentence. She pleads guilty to second-degree murder and gets 48 years in prison. James Catlin gets a similar deal and gets 30 years in prison. 
Jill maintains her innocence, is found not guilty on murder charge, but guilty to accessory, and gets only six years in prison, so she's probably out now. And Stuart is found guilty of first-degree murder. <laughs> he's the one? I don't I. Uh. So he's in prison for life. Nobody ever inquires about Maggie. No friends, no family, nobody. And this is where I write down, you have to give props to officers for doing the job without pressure of the family or from the family. Kenda and his officers bought her a headstone so she could have a place to rest. And that's, that's the end of the story today, guys. I mean, like I said, props to Lieutenant Joe Kenda and his team because they didn't have to solve that crime. They had no pressure at all, but obviously he is adamant on finding out who did what and you know acknowledging that everybody deserves justice despite the fact that they might not have family or friends so thank you lieutenant jokenda for being amazing and rest in peace to margaret fetty you died way too young and i promise you if you would have kept going you would have had people around you that actually loved you and it sucks that she won't even get that chance so Anyway, that's it for today, guys. Thank you for consuming crime with me today, and you will hear me next week.